We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the October 28th, 2018 edition of the Fantasy Football Report, a Rotoviz radio news show covering the serious and mocking the ridiculous NFL news of the last week, brought to you by MyBookie. I'm Blair Andrews. You can follow me on Twitter at AmITheRealBlair, and my co host is Hassan Rahim, who you can follow at HRR5010. Hassan, what's up? Hey, what's going on, Blair? You know, the usual uh, NFL Sunday, which, you know, we're halfway through the fantasy season, which is it's hard to imagine that we're that far ahead. Uh, hopefully your teams are doing well. Um, and your day was a little bit better than mine. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. The season's flying by. My teams are are pretty meh. But uh, uh, a good day overall. I think uh, I'm going to come out ahead. So looking like a good day. Um, I'm excited to get into the news with our guest today. Uh, he's becoming one of the best friends of the show. You know him from his appearance on our podcast two weeks ago. That's, of course, Ben Battle. He's a contributor to Rotoviz and Bet the Prop. You can follow him on Twitter at Ben underscore Battle 3. Ben, thanks for joining us again. How's it going? What's up, Blair? What's up, Hassan? Really excited to be back on for a second time. Had a blast the first time and ready to do it again. So let's hop right into it. Absolutely, yeah. We'll run it back right now. All right, first item up on Friday, Coach Bill O'Brien confirmed Will Fuller suffered a torn ACL in the Week 8 win over the Dolphins and is done for the season. 
Uh, Fuller will undergo surgery this week. So, Ben, this is obviously a huge blow for one of the most explosive receivers in the NFL, at least when he's healthy, uh, and for the Texans' offense. So how do you expect them to fill the void left by this injury? This is an extremely sad sequence of events for Fuller. He's been injury-ridden throughout his entire career and having a back-breaking one like a torn ACL, one of the most serious non-career-ending injuries a professional athlete can experience. It just absolutely sucks. I think that they really won't be able to fill the void because Will Fuller is such a unique talent. He was loved by lots of Rotoviz heading into this season. I know you liked him a lot, Blair. He exhibited extremely high efficiency last year with just an astronomical touchdown rate with Deshaun Watson, and some people kind of wrote it off as, oh, that's bound to regress. It's just absurd how strong his production is on the volume he's getting, but one thing you told me in the offseason was how his college dominator and some of his other breakout metrics suggested that he actually is a really prolific player and that maybe his volume would increase while his efficiency would decrease a bit and we kind of saw that this year how he's just been a slam dunk option um so really sad to see him go out and yeah the the splits for the texans with and without fuller are rather striking so that's basically because he has this really unique high a dot role which has a new dimension to an offense we see other players like deshaun jackson kind of fill a role like that in their offense. So Houston has averaged, with Deshaun Watson, 200 pass yards and 18 points per game with Deshaun Watson without Will Fuller. And they've averaged 30 points and 290 passing yards with Will Fuller. So you can see there's a 12-point-per-game gap, uh, almost 100 yards per game passing gap. And from a fantasy standpoint, it, the worst impact happens to Watson. He averages almost 30 PPR points when Fuller's in the game, and he's averaged only 17 without. So he's definitely hit the hardest. The person that's going to help the most is Kiki Kuti. He's the only player other than Hopkins that has really shown any chops to be a good NFL player in the last two years or so, excluding Fuller, of course. And we saw his involvement get spiked a couple weeks ago when he finally got involved. And it, I'd expect going forward for them to funnel a few more targets to him. He represents a really low dot, close to the line of scrimmage um, extension of the running game almost type of option for the Houston offense. So maybe Watson will reel in his dot a little bit and uh, get Kuti more involved in Fuller's absence. It also helps Hopkins, too. Hopkins gets slightly more target volume with Fuller out. Um, this could lead to Hopkins getting kind of those gaudy, ridiculous 35%-plus target market share splits he's shown in other times throughout his career when Houston has had a void of other passing game options. So that's in the realm of outcomes, but it does negatively impact the scoring output of Houston. And uh, like I said earlier, how it just tones down their 
Um, so it kind of reduces the touchdown equity Hopkins has. And then it's also probably a negative for Lamar Miller, just because the offense gets worse. He'll score fewer touchdowns, have less opportunity. But I'm curious how you guys think Cootie's role is going to expand or what they might do with him. Yeah, so uh, I'm actually, I've, I've been a pretty big fan of uh, Kiki QT ever since. Uh, I mean, I, I wrote him up for Rotoviz in December of last year. And then, you know, I, I wrote the profile when he went to, to uh, when he was drafted by the Texans back during uh, draft season. Uh, you know, there's quite a few things like you mentioned going in QT's favor, specifically the fact that he kind of was a pretty prolific receiver when he was at Texas Tech, especially alongside Mahomes. But more importantly, he was able to prove that he was more than just a, a product of the Mahomes offense. He, you know, increased his market share in his junior year. He had his best statistical season uh, in that in that year, and that was once Mahomes actually transferred. And uh, when their, you know, Texas Tech's actual quote unquote wide receiver one transferred out, Kiki QT was able to actually step up as a wide receiver one, and he just absolutely. I mean, he dominated with. Uh, I don't even remember the name of the quarterback. I believe he's, I don't even know if he's drafted. But uh, the one thing that's kind of interesting about QT is that, like, he's kind of like a, like a every kind of gadget type of dude. Like, he has yards per reception in his final year before he declared for the draft was 15.3. So he actually is and can be a deep threat utilized out of the slot. I mean, like, he did, didn't exactly have the best athletic marks, but he was sixth in the Phenom Index, you know, and so. It's fine for a guy who's kind of undersized and he's kind of a slowish. He's got like a production profile and uh, an ability to play special teams. At least his historical production special teams suggest that like he isn't a guy that wins on athleticism alone. And it's kind of like what you said, you know, like for now the Texans have been using him a little bit as like an extension of the run game, which is uh, kind of expected uh, just because he's this dude that can create and roll up yak. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how his role changes. What's been concerning to me is his lack of playing time. He's, you know, missed most of training camp with that, with that hammy. He was in and then he's out. Um, there's another guy who I think could become that burner on the squad. Vincent Smith, I believe, has uh, a lot of, you know, the kind of raw peripherals you kind of want in a, in a pure deep threat. Now, is he going to replace any of what Will Fuller does? I don't know. Uh, I wonder if they're going to be shoveling more production with their two tight ends that they drafted. Uh, what, what are your thoughts, Blair? Yeah, I pretty much agree with what you said. I think you made a great point about Kuti's yards per reception in college. Um, the other thing is that, you know, kind of we've seen Fuller's role expand a lot this year, uh, as you were mentioning, Ben. You know, obviously he's seeing more targets, but he's also seeing targets at sh- kind of shorter depths. Um, so, like, you know, his A dot this year so far has been 13.8, same as Hopkins, whereas in the past couple of years it's been uh well over 15 so um you know we've seen houston not only expand fuller's role to kind of uh use him all over the field um you know that accompanied with the fact that kuti might be a little bit more versatile than what we've seen out of him so far in the nfl makes me think you know you're obviously not getting a one-to-one replacement but uh it makes me think that they could use kuti in kind of the way that they have been using Fuller or kind of expand his role to sort of give them at least a target at the depth that Fuller was being used at. Um, Yeah, I mean, he's the only guy I really have a lot of interest in at this point. Um, You know, Vincent Smith has, what, four targets on the year? Um, 
Bruce Ellington is on IR, I think. Instead, I mean, I don't know when he's eligible to return, but I don't, uh, <clears throat> I don't think there are really a lot of other pieces you can rely on besides Kuti. So I'd definitely be looking to, you know, add him if he's still on the waiver wire. Uh, he might be after his injury. You know, maybe his owner got frustrated and dropped him. So um, he's someone definitely to try to get on your team now. Uh, you know, obviously Hopkins gets a big boost, but I mean. <laughs> he was already uh going to be impossible to get so uh but yeah i think i think kuti probably can do more of a willful or impression than maybe we would think just by a you know a quick glance yeah that's a great point about his college depth of target yeah i mean do we have actually college depth of target stats i mean i don't actually know you know ypr is kind of uh a good proxy for for depth of target usually um but you know we've also seen he's kind of a yak monster in the pros so he might have been doing that in college i mean there's a lot of things about his profile that are encouraging i think especially the fact that he declared early um you know that usually is a really big signal for wide receiver prospects coming out of college so um you know it, it's possible we haven't even seen the best of Kuti yet so uh yeah i'm definitely hopeful yeah it's a bit of a bummer that it comes at the expense to will fuller who man morphing into such a like him and hopkins were such a potent like such a powerful one-two punch led by an actual good quarterback and not any of the failures that trotted out over the last few seasons so it's a real bummer like, can this team ever get like healthy like last year they were clicking and then watson gets hurt and this year they're like smashing and then fuller gets hurt very unfortunate, especially because, like I said, that's just one of the starkest splits you can ever find in terms of how a player impacts an offense. So who knows what will happen next with them. Jameis Winston was benched for Ryan Fitzpatrick after throwing his fourth interception of Sunday's Week 8 game against the Bengals. Winston finished with 276 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Fitzpatrick played quite well in uh, you know relief. He completed 11 of 15 passes for 194 yards and two touchdowns. Ben, all that being said, who's going to start at the quarter, uh, quarterback position for the Bucks next week, and can we trust any of the QBs uh, going forward in fantasy? I would expect Winston to be back in next week, but of course, I'm not the head coach of the Bucks, so I <laughs> can't tell you that for certain. But I think if they're smart, they would put Winston back in because it's unlikely that they're going to give up on their franchise QB. It, you know, j- just like that with the flip of a switch. Um, Fitzpatrick, we know he's been a volatile QB throughout his career with streaky production. You saw it at the beginning of this year. And then when he was taken out for Winston, we really know we know what Fitzpatrick is. And hopefully the Bucks have that same perspective that they understand that they can't go with Fitzpatrick on a long term basis. But Winston, this is the last year on his contract before they have to pick decide whether to pick up his option or not so expect them to ride it out with him and if he doesn't show it then they'll draft somebody because that's what they can do but if they you know Winston still has a shot to own that job and I don't see them giving up on that right away like this um, I would trust either of them in fantasy if they if they say Winston's starting, I would play Winston. If they say Fitzpatrick's starting, then Fitzpatrick's a great starter too. Really, the, both 
QBs are buoyed by the really, really strong receiving core they have in Tampa with Mike Evans, Godwin, DJX, and the tight ends. And those players just bolster the value of the QBs mixed with the scheme that they're running there. Super aggressive, just going for broke on lots of plays. And, you know, that has led to lots of turnovers, which could be expected. But the upside is so high, and we've seen that with the fantasy outputs of Winston and Fitzpatrick on a weekly basis when they haven't ended up getting benched. So I'm on the side that I would trust either of them, but I know you guys might not feel the same way. <laughs> well, I agree about the upside, um, you know, just because of the pass catchers that they have. Uh, I mean, I'm probably tilting from today because I played Jameis in DFS in so many DFS lineups today, and he kind of, you know... So that was frustrating to see him come out of the game. Um, yeah, I mean, this is the second time we've seen the Bucks bench their starting quarterback halfway through a game this year. So, you know, if that's something that is kind of always on the table, if one of their... If whoever's starting the game throws a bunch of interceptions, that they might take him out and go to the next guy. I mean... You know, that's kind of a, it might be sort of a low probability risk, but it just, uh, you know, I mean, after seeing it today, it's recency bias to think that that's like likely to happen. So, you know, I know I'm probably being irrational about this. It's just, uh, you know, Winston isn't the sort of player that I like to root for anyway. So there's that excuse. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, it was frustrating today to uh, not get a good game from him, but yeah. I think one point is that the pass catchers remain very relevant and the one whose value changes the most, in my opinion, is Mike Evans. Fitzpatrick seems to like to lock into Mike Evans a little more than Winston does. We've seen that in the small sample of this year with Fitzpatrick came on today and threw like a 70 yard bomb to Evans right away. Whereas in the games with Winston, um, Evans's target share is kind of evened out with the other pass catchers on the team, whereas Evans was leading the team when Fitzpatrick was the starter at the beginning of the year. So I think he's the player that's most impacted by the quarterback change, in my opinion. Yeah, and just to back up a little bit, like I completely agree with both of you guys. I don't think Jameis is really going anywhere. This is, again, like like Blair said, this probably is just recency bias, but there's a couple of cool stats that I uh, found here in terms of the turnover stuff. Uh, he's actually thrown multiple interceptions in a game 16 times uh, over his time. With the, he was like, actually tied with Blake Bortles for the most multi-interception games, and now he actually has the record. So congrats. Um the, the other thing is, is, is like going back to the fifth year option uh, point that you brought up, Ben, that's actually pretty interesting because it is $20.9 million and it's only guaranteed for injury. They could cut him with zero financial implications before the start of the new league year. So, you know, around like middle of March, March 13th, 2019 is where we'll actually know the quote unquote long term fate for Jameis Winston. But this kind of goes a little bit bigger. You know, like Blair mentioned that we've got. We've seen the Tampa Bay Buccaneers yank their starting quarterback twice this season. This is a, a coaching staff. I mean, like the head coach, Dirk Cutter, was actually on the chopping block last year. Like he uh, and they extended him. It's a bit like the Marvin Lewis extension last year where people were just unsure what happened. 
But, you know, part of it is just that's the uh, hallmark of a poor front office. Just like they don't want to make the difficult decision and go through an actual coaching search. So just go ahead and bench their, you know, go ahead and extend their uh, in-place option because it's comfortable and it's what they know. You know, that being said, Cutter has behaved like a guy who is afraid of the sky falling. He's just like, uh, uh, if you guys are familiar with like the story of Chicken Little, he definitely is a dude who's afraid the sky's going to fall on his head. <laughs> um, he he has, you know, where the, he's fired the defensive coordinator. We have, uh, you know, this defense is so bad and so porous that who doesn't matter who you put out there is going to have to throw a lot because these guys can't stop stop anything being thrown at them so you know that just naturally leads to more interceptions on the back end uh on the front end he just i I just don't know what he's like actually doing i I don't know if these guys are actually coaching they had an early second round pick and they spent that on ronald jones who you know i don't i don't understand like they've wanted a running back and they went out and got ronald jones who just has failed to take over the job entirely uh you know, like you, you're just lighting draft capital on fire and then you're making like, you know, sub bar decisions in terms of how to handle your quarterback. And that being said, after they're like, you know, Buccaneers is fast start, but, uh, you know, beating the Saints and the Eagles, they've lost to any team that's been a semblance of a threat outside of the Browns. Uh, you know, this is a team that just got humiliated. I mean, Fitzpatrick brought them back. And, you know, they had an interception, but the game result was never really in doubt. When your defense just can't stop anything, you're just not going to win anything. This is a team that, you know, probably has a lot of soul searching to do. And I don't know where they go from here. But, like, like you know, again, like Ben said, that's a very talented wide receiver core. So you got to roll them out provided you're OK with knowing that they're going to get lose a job in the middle of the game if something goes sideways. Personally, I hope Winston plays badly, loses his job, and they draft somebody. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you guys own Winston anywhere, like in Dynasty, but what would you be willing to move him for if you're trying to trying to uh, get something for him? I don't know if you can move him. You know, I mean, like maybe uh, let's talk Superflex. I still don't know if you can move him. Yeah, I guess I, I guess the play there is to really see if Fitzpatrick was actually dropped. Yeah, I dropped Fitzpatrick after week four, I think, in Scott Fishbowl, and somebody picked him up like five minutes later, and I was like, well, whatever, he's not going to play. (laughs) (laughs) Right, yeah, and it's like, whoa, oh, wow, here you come. All right, before we get into No Shit Shit No, here's a quick reminder that you can support the Rotoviz Radio Network and our 10 shows per week on Patreon. By doing so, you'll gain exclusive access to Rotoviz Live, our weekly Sunday morning video show answering all your fantasy questions. Patronships start at just $6 a month and provide exclusive access to Rotoviz Live. That's four shows per month on top of 40 podcasts for just $6. Become a Rotoviz Radio patron today to join an exclusive community of listeners, access premium content, and do your part in helping the network to grow and continue to produce high quality industry leading programming. And speaking of exclusives, as a loyal podcast listener, you can get 30% off at Rotoviz NFL Pass right now. It's available through the NFL Podcast homepage, rotaviz.com slash podcast. Uh, you will gain unlimited access to all of our NFL content, our tools. You get amazing value and you help support our pod. Uh, once again, that's rotaviz.com slash podcast. All right, now let's get into no shit shit. No, first item, Tyler Boyd caught 9 of 10 targets for 138 yards and a touchdown in the Bengals Week 8 win over the Bucks. No shit. Boyd is really, really good, and he was actually 
nearly matching AJ Green in volume for the first couple games of the year. It was only really the last two weeks that AJ just got fed volume peppered with targets and some of the negative gain scripts seemed to dictate that when they were coming back versus the Chiefs and Dalton was just firing it to AJ on every single play but we knew that this week versus the Bucks who seemed to funnel targets to lower to a lower a dot that Boyd would be a great play he's been more of the slot man, even uh, even though they have moved AJ into the slot on occasion, Boyd has still been there more than AJ. So it made sense that Boyd would capitalize on the low A dot inducing Bucks defense and have a big game. Uh, the Bengals offense has been really really strong this year. They they have a sixty six percent pass tendency, which is very high for the Cincinnati offense relative to their usage the last few years. They're top ten in points per game, and there's not a lot of reason to think that this kind of pace won't continue. Of course, Boyd's not going to score almost 30 fantasy points every single week, but he's very, very clearly established himself as a top 20 option at the position and a must-start on a weekly basis. David Njoku was held without a catch or target in Sunday's Week 8 loss to the Steelers. Shit, no. I have no idea what happened here. I kind of just write it off as some kind of Hugh Jackson shenanigans. I don't, I don't know what happened. <laughs> Njoku's a top 10 tight end in my eyes. He's been top five in weighted opportunity rating for type, for tight ends, even if you include this zero of a week. So I, it's just variance. It happens. I'm not reading into this split for the Browns. I mean, the stat line alone against Pittsburgh should be enough to get either Jackson or Haley fired, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sammy Watkins chipped in with eight catches for 107 yards and two touchdowns on nine targets Sunday in the Chiefs' Week 8 victory over Denver. This one is a little bit of both. We have no shit that a piece involved in the most explosive offense in the NFL had a huge week, and we also have shit know that that type of production will continue. Chiefs are the most explosive and highest scoring offense in the league next to the Rams. And really, Sammy is pretty lucky because Kansas City's reignited his career. You know, he, was, he got signed for all this money, and luckily for him, he's producing. He's been involved with a 15% target market share, which is enough to suggest he can have spike weeks like this. Yeah, uh, just a, I wanted to make a quick note. I believe Hill tweaked his groin at yes. the end of this game. Yes. Uh, something to keep an eye on. Uh, I don't know how serious it is. We uh, have no indication, but uh, it would really open up uh, a lot more volume for Sammy going forward. Joe Mixon rushed 21 times for 123 yards and two touchdowns and caught three of four targets for 15 yards in the Bengals' Week 8 win over the Bucks. This one's a shit no for me because Gio was out. Gio's going to take work from Mixon when Gio is healthy. We know Gio's really good. We saw him step in for Mixon and probably be better than Mixon. (laughs) So Mixon still has the top 12 workload. He's an RB1 for sure, but he 
this stat line suggests that he fits into the similar level as a Gurley or Connor or Saquon or Melvin Gordon. But when Gio's healthy, I don't think that's true at all. I think his floor is much lower because of Gio's past game involvement and the minor rushing equity that Gio takes. DJ Moore caught five of six targets for 90 yards in the Panthers' week eight win over the Ravens. No shit. DJ Moore rocks. <laughs> Torrey Smith was out, and it was really nice to see DJ be the one to benefit the most from that. His target share hopped up to a little over 20%, which was great. And Smith has a knee injury, and it's a little unclear what's happening there. So who knows? But even if Smith does come back, obviously DJ should be more involved. Like, that's. It hasn't been a question of whether DJ Moore should be involved. It's a question of if they'll actually make it happen. (laughs) And every time they've given him the ball, the guy's been great because he's really, really good. I wrote an article, one of my first pieces for Rotoviz, on why why DJ Moore should actually be valued higher than Corey Davis in both Redraft and Dynasty, um, just because... DJ Moore is one of the most elite wide receiver prospects that we've seen in a very long time based off of lots of the road of his advanced um, prospect met- metrics. So just waiting for Greg Olson to fall over and them to realize that Funchess isn't a real wide receiver so that DJ Moore can do his thing and show everybody. Mike Evans caught 6 of 13 targets for 179 yards and a touchdown in the Bucs' Week 8 loss to Cincinnati. No shit on Evans' weak efficiency. That's pretty much what he does. That's who he is. And we talked about this a little bit earlier, how Fitzpatrick likes Evans more than Winston does. And uh, I think we covered it earlier, how if Fitzpatrick's in, then you can consider Evans in a in the wide receiver one discussion, or sorry, a, a top 12 wide receiver. But with Jameis, I was super low on Evans heading into this year. I think a lot of people were too at his draft price. You know, with Winston in there, I consider him more in the top 20 range. And I think his production kind of re- reflects that given what he's done with Jameis in his last few games. James Conner rushed 24 times for 146 yards and two touchdowns while catching five of six targets for 66 yards in Sunday's Week 8 win over the Browns. No shit. There's nothing else to say. Steelers, RB1, will dominate. He has every single week. Nothing else needs to be said. <laughs> so let, let me switch this up for you. Um, Le'Veon Bell. What are we going to do here? Do you think uh, he starts taking away some of the work? I mean, I, I know the latest rumors are like they're trying to trade Bell. I don't know how likely that's going to happen. But uh, how does that situation play out between Bell and Connor? This is one that's if anybody tells you they know what's going to happen, then they've got to be lying. <laughs> it's so hard to tell what actually will happen because. On one hand, you have the historical splits for the Steelers. They always have a running back who dominates the share of the reps. That's how it's been for years and years and years. And on the other hand, they have Connor, who can be their future back, whereas they might want it. But like they, 
they know that Connor can produce just as well as Bell, and that gives them the choice of two equivalent backs, but it might be beneficial for them to run out Bell. He's on a you know the short-term contract just until the end of the year. It might be beneficial for them to just run him out, use up his health, really, because why do they care? And that can preserve Connor a bit, and that could lead to maybe they, they want to split it, or on the other hand, that might indicate that they'll just run out Bell with a full r- workload and kill him, because why not? Then they save Connor for longer. So I think that even if they do split the workload, they'll both be extremely valuable given that the Steelers have one of the most prolific offenses in the league with tons of scoring opportunities. So I think even if there is some kind of weird, unprecedented split in the Steelers backfield, that they'll both be extremely valuable. Tariq Cohen rushed five times for 40 yards and got a 70 yard touchdown in week eight against the Jets. No shit. He's the most dynamic weapon in the Matt Nagy offense. Uh, We've talked about it a couple times this year, how he's the back to own in Chicago and really the player to own in Chicago at this point. It was one of Sean Siegel's sharpest takes to start the year that Cohn had top 10 upside, and we're seeing that on a weekly basis with his diverse usage in all game scripts. I think Blair mentioned last time how he's getting that receiving game work and rushing work in both positive and negative game scripts, which is really what you want to see. And that's one reason he's going to continue to be so valuable on a weekly basis. Carrion Johnson rushed eight times for 22 yards and caught six of his eight targets for 69 yards in the Lions week eight loss to the Seahawks. So this is a tough one. It's no shit that Carrion is the best back but or the best back on the Detroit offense, but it's a little foggy on whether this is going to continue. So one thing that was great was that it's the first time we've really seen him used as a serious pass catcher. The Lions hit some hit some negative game script against the Seahawks, and he had an electric eight targets. But then you have Theo Riddick hanging out, and that's. Carrion's target volume is kind of only a product of Riddick being out. Um, Riddick's listed as not close to return, though, which that's a huge boost for Carrion since if the timetable is actually indefinite for Riddick at the moment because he'll be a locked-in high-end RB2 in what's become a surprisingly run-heavy Detroit offense this year. I think it's important to discuss what will happen when Theoretic returns, though, so my opinion is that Riddick's going to stick around and that Carrion's not going to continue to see this increased load of passing game work like he has. Passing catch, pass catching backs like Riddick are just kind of hard to spell. Like they're hard to, they're hard to get rid of because they're great at the role they're utilized in and that's what they do. That's their job. And it's just kind of hard to, you know, I, I see Riddick sticking around for longer than we want than when everybody would like. But one thing that is positive is that I think there's a bigger chance that carry on totally overtakes blunt in if when Riddick returns, you know, we could see a split just between carry on and Riddick, as opposed to the three way monster we were seeing before they actually gave carry on a chance at some goal line work last week and he had a few attempts and 
wasn't able to convert, which is extremely disappointing for his goal line usage going forward. And then Blunt ran in on his one attempt and was able to punch it in. So overall, though, I I do think that Carrion's supreme efficiency can push Blunt out when Riddick returns. But it's unlikely that Carrion will own the backfield to himself when it's before Riddick returns, when it's just him and Blunt. So he's really a wait and see on the Theo news because if Theo's coming back soon, then I think he's a redraft sell because the target volume is going to go down and that makes him more game script dependent and less valuable overall. And Dynasty, I think he's a a hold... Or in Dynasty, I think he's a buy after Riddick comes back because Riddick's going to come back. His value is going to decrease. He likely won't produce as much. And then that creates a great buying opportunity because Carrion's shown that he can produce and that he can produce in the passing game when he'll eventually begin, be given the opportunity maybe ne- uh, next year. And that's why he'd be a buy for me. What do you guys think about that? Uh, I actually like that a lot. Uh, I wanted to just add that, like the buy low machine, the road of his buy low machine has Detroit running backs with the worst schedule over the next four weeks, which uh, is not good. Um, but you know, so again, that probably will open up uh, a little bit of a hopeful buying window. I don't know because people are uh, protective of their carry on um, Johnson. Uh, you know the fact that they drafted him and stuff, especially in dynasty leagues. Um, you know, I, I do like the point that you made about Riddick. Uh, it really is one of those uh, when they get into this heavy negative game script. Uh, you know, Blunt kind of just gets phased out, and it's carry on. But like you said, I mean, when is Riddick? That's is he's active and healthy. That's who they go to. I mean, like that's sort of what the work that I've done so far in the zero RB report has shown. Uh, the one thing that is actually kind of interesting, and this was in the most recent Zero RB report, is kind of how the red zone touches and then touches of inside the 10 have been filtering out over the last, uh, you know, season to date. Uh, and it's actually kind of like interesting because, you know, Blunt has seen it like a very small amount of that actual goal line work because it's very rare to find yourself lined up in those situations. If you're, you know, if you're talking about like those arbitrary cutoffs, for, for the broad part, I think the biggest trend here to take away, especially if you're reading the week, uh, the most my most recent NFC Zero RB report, is that these guys are pretty much neck and neck in terms of uh, opportunity inside the red zone. And I think Carrion's only going to continue to come on stronger. I mean, look, this, this is a team that wanted to go run heavy. They drafted a, a, a you know, a, did they take Ragnar on the first? I can't remember. I Maybe they did. You know, I mean, they've been they're they're a team that wants to really establish the run as an old schoolish team, and that's sort of taken the air out of the out of the football. And you know, they they traded up for Carry On, so it's kind of in their interest to use Carry On a little bit more. Um, and hopefully, he starts getting those high leverage looks um, as we go on down the stretch. But I think, like you said, like a lot of that receiving value might just be zapped once uh, Riddick is back. No idea how long he's here for. And I do like that your your call on trading Riddick away on the momentum. That's a very good call. Jordan Matthews hauled in four or five targets for 93 yards in the Eagles' week eight win over the Jags. Should know. J-Matt hadn't hit a 10% market share yet this year. Cool for him for having a good game. Cool for his career. But nah, he's not fantasy relevant in my eyes. Oh man, I put this question in because I was hoping for a Jordan Matthews resurrection. 
you know, I might be one of the only truthers left, but maybe it's not to be. So I got a question for you then, Blair. Jordan Matthews or Nelson Aguilar? Oh, Matthews. <laughs> Do you need me to Easy. pull up how many points Aguilar scored this year compared to J Matt? <laughs> oh no, I mean, I, I think I think the the but the broader point is that like Aguilar has kind of been a you know more of a letdown than people have uh, actually thought of him, especially in redraft, where I can't remember was he going in like the seventh or the eighth? I just can't remember where he was around there. Yeah, he, he was like one of those guys that got drafted, and I had no idea. Like, I, he was just one of those guys that went, and I was like, huh. Yeah. Wasn't going to pick him anyways. <laughs> yeah, just like, huh. I got him in a a dynasty league where we have a rookie free agent draft, like, at the same time. And he was hanging around for, like, a few rounds. Like, after all the rookies I liked were gone, Aguilar's still there. And I'm like, well, this is crazy not to take him. But now he's sitting on my bench, and I can't move him for anything. Nobody wants him. So, you know. I don't know. Drop him. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, Jordan Matthews might be better than Aguilar, but it still doesn't make Jordan Matthews fantasy relevant because I don't see the volume coming. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a bit of a bummer because a couple of weeks ago, uh, when, when you were on, actually, we were talking about like how uh, where a good a landing spot would have been for Amari Cooper. And I you know, just sort of threw out the Eagles because that seems like such a nice fit. Turns out the Eagles were trying to trade for him. A uh, bit of a bummer that one didn't work out, huh? Yeah, I think they tried to get in there with a, the offering of a second, but Dallas had to outdo them by wasting their first round pick on Amari Cooper. Yeah, without I mean, I agree with that. I really think that like a second was pretty rich to be. You uh, agree? Get, you agree with that hate speech? <laughs> yeah, no, I just I mean, like the whole the whole thing is is that like Dallas. I mean, came into this knowing that they were wide receiver by committee, and that was by choice. Like you can't fix this midseason, and you're not anywhere close to a contender. Like you knew you weren't giving Dak Prescott really any wide receiver help. I mean, when your wide receiver one is uh, Cole Beasley, Michael Gallup still kind of raw, he seems to be coming on, and then Alan Hearns is just like it's Alan Hearns. I mean, who cares? Uh, it's just you know trading away at first just to see what you have in Prescott, you know, versus chalking this up as hubris and like poor coaching. It's kind of wild. I mean, like, the Eagles really do need wide receiver help, though, so maybe they are going to trade for someone like that. Amari Cooper rumor that they're willing to move that second might be a tell that this team is still looking to bring in wide receiver help. Yeah, in terms of Cooper's outlook, my perspective is that volume's a skill, and Cooper hasn't been able to do that. He hasn't been able to lead his team in market share for a long time. When Crabtree was out targeting him, and then this pathetic... Jordy Nelson, Jared Cook receiver corpse was, he also couldn't beat them out. So that's my outlook on Amari Cooper's value is pretty dead. I'm hoping my league mates that own Cooper are a lot like you because I think, I mean, I agree yeah. it was an overpay for Dallas, but I mean, if you can get Cooper now for almost nothing, I'm a buyer for sure. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, baby, yes. You know, I mean, he hasn't been good over the last two years, but, you know, someone with that sort of elite prospect profile, two 1,000-yard seasons in his first two years in the NFL, I mean, he's probably a rare talent. Uh, I mean, you know, it's hard to say after the last <laughs> two years, but, um, you know, I think it's worth worth betting on, on that talent 
uh, if you can get him at such a cheap price now. Again, it depends on the price, right? Like for if we're sure. Talking for, if we're talking for free off the waivers, then heck yeah, <laughs> give me Amari Cooper. But his his price has got to be way lower than it was to start this season. So do you think that he would have been... So do you think that he's more valuable with the Cowboys or was he more valuable given his outlook to start the year with the Raiders before we saw what actually happened this year with the Raiders? What what do you think is more valuable? If he was starting the year on the Cowboys or the Raiders? Oh, oh without a doubt, the Raiders. Yeah, for yeah, sure, yeah, the exactly. Raiders. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, part of the issue really here, uh, you know, that you're kind of dealing with from, a, from an Amari perspective is just people are kind of sick of him, right? Like you got last year where he had like a bunch of injuries and then obviously no one really played him the week he went off, although he was, you know, clearly hampered by injury. And then, yeah, I mean, people are really not giving much credence to the fact that Cooper's had two 100-yard games this year. He's actually had two wide receiver one weeks. It's just that he seems to burn everyone when they start him, wow. right? Yeah, so it's like, it's like um, well, uh, you know, Amari, same old guy. He just seems to be burning me. But, like, here's, here's like, the way to really think about this. And I, I bring this up from a, from a dynasty perspective. Who would you rather have, Amari Cooper or Corey Davis? Neither. <laughs> no, 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 you have to pick one though, right? I would probably rather own Nelson Amari Ango. Cooper. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, but it's like, but when you're looking at him, you know, so like, so like the issue is that you've got like people who are really out on on Amari because it's like this dude who seems to always burn everyone. It's like a more of a psychology psychology play that you're looking at here. Is like, well, I like can if you can get something like cheapish for him and. Uh, I'm really racking my brains and trying to figure out like what would be a fairish trade and maybe sending something like a Manny Sanders plus a second for Amari if you can get someone to actually bite on that. Like, even Manny Sanders plus like think about like a c- couple of other holes in this person's roster that you can like actually backfill with like, you know, aging-ish players or not even aging players, just players who are currently like supremely outperforming the talent profile, what their talent profile suggests. Uh, you know, I'd give that up. I'd rather have Sanders in a second. I'm biting on that. Amari Cooper could have stone zero value. He could not produce the end of this for the rest of this year. He could do the same thing that the other Cowboys receivers have done, and then his value should literally be squat. Like, I don't know how you could still be buying him if he fails to produce at Dallas right now. Right. I guess the question is, if you are a Amari Cooper owner, what kind of offer would you accept? Uh, Would you sell him for... Manny Sanders. Sell him for a first. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to get that. I mean, I think at this issue with with Amari is you're on a hold, you know, like, and that's kind of one of those bummer things is you you're kind of forced to hold Amari if you're like actually are a believer, or you're just gonna, you know, if you just have to move, you're gonna have to be willing to like take a loss, you know, you won't get the yeah, first. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> you won't get the first, but like, you know, so like. Manny plus a second would probably be a pretty if that looks enticing to you jump on it like I personally wouldn't wouldn't sell for that but uh I'm also it, it, this is also very specific to how I build my squads and it's also knowing that like I actually have those kind of like high variance-ish receivers more so as my in my flex spot so uh the guys who I actually have as a quote-unquote core um you know have that like provide you know a net net safety in terms of how that like if i take a donut at that position fair enough yeah my my take is just volume is a skill and he hasn't shown that skill so that's why i don't like him all right we we should move along (laughs) we went from jordan matthews to 
Amari Cooper. <laughs> He's not on the show sheet. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. Where were we, though? Uh, With Philip Lindsay. Philip Lindsay rumbled to 95 yards and a touchdown on 18 carries while also contributing three catches for 17 yards on three targets Sunday in the Broncos' Week 8 loss to the Chiefs. No shit. Philip Lindsay rocks. He had the highest works horse score in the class above Saquon Barkley. And it makes him just the poster boy for why these Rotoviz advanced prospect metrics are just so valuable when evaluating these um, prospects who are new to the league. Like who the heck would have ever known that Philip Lindsay out of whichever Colorado random Colorado school he went to had this kind of upside. You know, that's that's why you subscribe to Rotovis. <laughs> Notably, Lindsay has the pass game involvement too. That's been increasing on a weekly basis. He's splitting pretty evenly with Booker, which is okay. Um, you know, Booker's definitely sticking around in that respect, but Lindsay's completely outperformed Royce Freeman in the passing game. And it's a major negative for Royce's outlook. That's for sure. Uh, Blair, maybe could you explain why workhorse score is so valuable or what that metric is here at Rotoviz? Yeah. Workhorse score is just um, a measure of a college running backs share of his team's non quarterback rushing production. Uh, basically in games that weren't blowouts. So, you know, that's kind of a long way of saying it measures how involved they were in the running game in in meaningful games, in meaningful situations. Uh, so it doesn't actually take receiving into account, but um, it's still, you know, a pretty good measure of, you know, when a team wanted to run the ball, who did they, who did they give the ball to and how productive were they? Um, and, you know, in the past, it's been especially useful at kind of finding these guys who are lesser known prospects. They're from, you know, a lot of them are from smaller schools like Colorado. Uh, you know, someone like Aaron Jones was also excellent in this metric. So, you know, from UTEP. So guys like that, um, smaller school guys, sometimes smaller in stature guys. I mean, it's interesting, you know, Devontae Booker actually <laughs> looks really good by this metric. He was uh, also an excellent uh, workhorse in college. I can't even remember where he went to college, Utah or something, Utah State maybe. I don't know. Yeah, Utah. That. Yeah, okay. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. These kind of smaller school backs, Denver's kind of hitting on them, um, you know, small school guys who were really productive. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, shown to really be able to pick out these guys really well that uh, kind of nobody else is paying attention to. So, yeah, definitely Lindsay is, I think, I mean, great kind of uh, advertisement for the metric. Ito Smith was another one, if I recall correctly. Yep. yep. Patrick Mahomes completed 24 of 34 passes for 303 yards with four touchdowns and an interception, and he lost one yard on two carries uh, in Sunday's win over the Broncos. No shit. This is Mahomes' stat line every single week. Dude's the QB1. Not much to see here. <laughs> Evan Ingram caught five of nine targets for 25 yards and a touchdown in the Giants' week eight loss to Washington. Yeah, no shit for me here. Ingram just hasn't been involved yet. He's been coming back from injury, but this is the first week where his targets have 
really spiked up to a usable level as people were predicting given his draft price and his production last year. So he should continue to be a startable tight end. He doesn't have the upside as some of the um, slightly stronger tight ends because Barkley and Odo Beckham certainly block that volume, but Engram's definitely startable and can give people who stuck out, stuck it out with him after drafting him some return on their investment. Marvin Jones got seven of 10 targets for 117 yards and two touchdowns in the Lions' week eight loss to the Seahawks. Should know that this is going to happen every week, but no shit that a high dot threat like Marvin Jones, who happened to be a Bilo candidate in Josh Hermsmeyer's Air Yards Bilo model, uh, hit for a big week this week. Marvin Jones has actually had very strong, sorry, not very strong, but relatively similar opportunity to Kenny Galladay and Golden Tate throughout this year. And Jones actually made it into my Bilo report article a couple weeks ago because I realized that despite Galladay and Tate outproducing Jones on an efficiency basis, Jones had extremely similar um, weighted opportunity rating an adjusted form of volume based off of depth of target and that's why it's unsurprising to see him produce but jones will continue to be volatile on a weekly basis given his high a dot russell wilson completed 14 of 17 passes for 248 yards and three touchdowns in the seahawks 28 14 week eight win over the lions no shit. Russell Wilson hasn't attempted more than 26 passes since week two. Like you just said, he only had 17 attempts this week. They want to run the ball in Seattle. Schonheimer and Pete Carroll would divorce their wives and marry the run game if that's what it took for them to <laughs> pound the ball more. <laughs> like, but of course, Russell Wilson's still really good. Throws three touchdowns on 17 attempts, nearly 300 yards on only... 17 attempts, but certainly has negatively impacted his volu- his value as a fantasy quarterback for sure. His Russ, uh, Russ's rushing usage has declined this year. He's kind of dealing with that injury to start. Um, but a player whose, vo- whose value has really been hurt by that is Doug Baldwin. We saw touchdowns go to David Moore and um, Ed Dixon today while Baldwin posted another stinker. Uh, Hassan, I know you were pretty high on Doug Baldwin. Yeah, uh, I actually was pretty high on Doug Baldwin. Uh, and even when he you know, sort of came out with that, oh, I got like that uh, thing in my knee. I, I didn't really know what to make of it, and I sort of just sort of brush it off. Uh, I, it's, I mean, he came back before their buy, and he posted a pretty solid stat line. So I don't know if this is just one of those moments where he was just sort of game scripted out, like everything Russ is doing. Russ is doing is just sort of like hitting. You know, we saw a little bit of old November Russ today, where like everything he threw was a touchdown, and it was just kind of wild seeing that guy out there. Uh, and at the same time, it is very, very concerning to me that Doug Baldwin has sort of gone from uh, this had having this prolific mind meld with uh, Russ to just sort of not being 
even on the radar. And it's kind of it's pretty frustrating because this is, by all accounts, a very poor receiver core. Uh, so I'm, you know, I'm fairly quite concerned here and uh, I have no idea what to make of it going forward. All I can hope for is that we see, you know, more usage for Baldwin. But like Ben said, uh, you know, this is a team that is uh, very stoutly dedicated to the run. Uh, I mean, you know, they love the run uh, to quite a degree. Like they actually drafted a running back with their first round pick and they're just not going to use him. They just love the run that much. Uh, you know, they just need to make sure that they just have enough healthy bodies so they can keep running. Um, so I have no idea what to make of this. Uh, it just is a drain on their pass volume. And it's a it really, really shackles what Russ is capable of doing. So it's very impressive watching uh, Pete Carroll and Schottenheimer uh, take the absolute worst route to try and find a way to, to win games. Do you think that it is purely a volume issue or do you think Baldwin might be washed? I doubt he's washed. I think the bigger concern would be if the knee is still bothering him because he was kind of quoted as suggesting that he might not be 100% the entire year when this injury thing came out. You know, he was optimistic about returning and playing, but he hinted that they're given whatever the medical diagnosis was that he might not be right even if he's in there and I don't have the eye personally to tell you whether Baldwin looks like he's performing the same way he did before did before but I think that that's definitely a factor to consider given the mystifying results we've seen since he's return yeah I mean uh, that's a, that's a question that I have, but it's very hard to tell because he only got targeted thrice and he caught two of those for 26 yards. Uh, you know, like last uh, couple of weeks ago before the bye against Oakland, he, you know, was targeted eight times. He caught six of those for 91 yards and a score. He hasn't caught a touchdown this year yet. That's also because he just hasn't been on the field. And, you know, when you're kind of just box score scouting his history, it's just, it's really weird. He doesn't, either he sees you know, a hair under like, you know, either seven or eight targets or he sees one. And it's just like, you know, just what are you going to do with that? And it's very hard to gauge when there's just not much pass volume coming his way. So it's a bit of a bummer. And maybe and maybe like I, I don't know if he's washed, but like if this is a knee thing that turns into like a career thing, I, you know, I don't know. Really, the question is, is there any signal that his current level of performance is going to change? For the rest of the year, and in my opinion, the answer to that question is no. I don't see any form of signal that makes him a buy low candidate at this point in time. In my opinion, I don't know if you guys disagree with that. No, I agree. I mean, I think what you'd want is to see some indication that the offense is going to start trying to <laughs> trying to actually put up points, uh, but that doesn't look like something they're all that interested in no they just got to pound the rock some more that's about it man that's all they want <laughs> marry the rock <laughs> larry fitzgerald hauled in eight of 12 targets for a season high 102 yards and one score in the cardinals is week eight win over the 49ers so this one's interesting this is a shit no in my opinion i think that you could predict that fitz was gonna have a nice week this week because he's kind of rebounded with his health and this was a major get right spot for the Cardinals. 
Um, but the reason that I'm not super optimistic about him going forward is that their offense still was horrible throughout the game, to be honest. They didn't put up points the entire game until this miraculous game-winning drive they had at the end. Maybe that drive in the two-minute drill will be the spark that the Cardinals offense needs to get going under Leftwich, but I don't think that the valuation of Fitzgerald or Kirk really changes, Um, especially given Fitzgerald's huge game this week. You can't buy him. He just just scored a million points, and he should – there's no reason to think he'll continue to do that. But I do like – Kirk as a bit of a buy just because I think his role is expanding with Rosen. He caught the game winning touchdown um, today. And I think that he can, I don't know if he's going to overtake Fitz, but I think that he's a little undervalued given the performances he's put up thus far. Doug Martin collected 72 yards on 13 carries while also snagging two catches for 17 yards on two targets Saturday in Oakland's Week 8 loss to the Colts. No shit. He stepped right into the Lynch role, as was expected. I actually had, <laughs> I had a collection of interesting bylows this week. Two of them, for the bylow report, two of them were Doug Martin and Danny Amendola. Two... <laughs> Highly unlikely candidates to be fantasy viable, but uh, when kind of worked out. So yeah, so Doug Martin just slotted right into the Lynch role like we expected him to do, and he's going to continue to be a low upside and high floor player that is a okay starter if you need that kind of production. Again, it's just a lesson to buy the volume at running back. It doesn't really matter that much that Martin's efficiency was not great on the minimal work he received earlier in the year. Cortland Sutton delivered three catches for 78 yards and four targets in Sunday in the Denver's Week 8 loss to the Chiefs. I don't really have an answer to this one. This is the first week that Cortland Sutton has shown any form of strong efficiency. And that's very worrisome for a rookie wide receiver. Sutton was an okay prospect, in my opinion. The numbers suggested he was fine, but not spectacular like DJ Moore or even on the Christian Kirk level, in my opinion. Um, Sutton's efficiency will be extremely important to monitor throughout the rest of the year. And in, in, in the coming weeks for his potential redraft value to end of the year, and extremely, extremely important for his future dynasty outlook. Blair, maybe you can talk a little bit about why rookie year receiver efficiency is so important and what might be worrisome with Cortland Sutton. Uh, yeah, well, that's uh, an article I wrote at the beginning of the season, I guess, um, basically looking at fantasy points over expectation and how it's kind of a signal of year two breakouts um and it's pretty significant actually like players who have positive fantasy points over expectation in their rookie year go on to average about 150 ppr points the next year those who don't are below 100 so it's like a really significant difference that is not explained by draft capital um 
you know, the good news for Sutton, he has a pretty low catch rate, uh, not a lot of touchdowns. This was only the second touchdown he scored. Um, but he's actually only, uh, you know, coming into this game, I think he was like 3.6 points below expectation. So it's not actually a huge um, a huge gap. It's not a lot less than what you would expect based on his workload. Um, and I think, you know, 78 yards on four targets probably is uh, positive efficiency. So I think he'll, he'll be over. Like after this game, I th- I'd expect we'd see close to uh, what we'd expect or maybe even a little bit more. Maybe it wouldn't be enough to get him over into positive. But yeah, in any case, you know, you definitely want to see rookies not only getting a lot of touches but also performing well i mean the guys that you know last year we saw this from cooper cup juju smith schuster um kenny galladay all guys who were really efficient as rookies and you know in year two they've kind of exploded whereas someone like Corey davis we've kind of talked about before he had a pretty bad rookie year in terms of efficiency and he's having a pretty bad uh second year so um yeah i think it's a probably a stronger signal than people realize uh, so far, not that great for Sutton, but I think there's hope that things can turn around. You know, there's rumors that uh, Demarius Thomas is looking to be traded. I think after the game today, he put those odds at 50-50 that he would be traded in the next few uh, days or something. So um, there's potential for his, you know, Sutton's role to increase a lot, and hopefully he can he can start uh, piling up the yards and touchdowns and get that uh you know actual production where we'd like jordan reed got seven or 12 targets for 38 yards in washington's week eight win over the giants as a washington fan this one's tough for me but i'm gonna say shit no jordan reed only had 38 yards on these seven catches surprisingly reed's a dot is actually at 7.2 has been right near his career average when I was digging into Reed, I expected it to be much lower than his um, usage in previous years. But um, I guess Alex Smith is still targeting him at the same depth. But the Washington offense has just been really anemic as a whole. They're running through Adrian Peterson. They have one of the highest run rates in the league, especially on first down. Just really really gross and hard to root for in my opinion so yeah it was great that reed had the target volume and he's certainly the best player on the team really you can make an argument that chris thompson um could be in contention for that but reed has just been a stud throughout his years and alex smith hasn't been able to translate the efficiency he gave to Travis Kelsey and to Jordan Reed this year. So I need to see it more. I don't buy this one week of seven catches for 38 yards as a big signal that Jordan Reed is back or anything like that. So I need to see it um, a couple more times before I'm sold. I don't know if you guys have a different take on that or not. No, I'm with you. This is a team that went out immediately once Geis was hurt. They went out and signed Adrian Peterson. They couldn't, you know, trip over themselves uh, quick enough to get there. Uh, this is, again, you know, I mean, uh, this Gruden as well uh, is also, uh, you know, enamored by old players and loving the run. It, and I've noted this in the Zero RB report. Adrian Peterson is a fantastic front runner. If you can predict with 
you know, accuracy that Peterson, uh, uh, you know, that Washington are going to lead uh, for the game. He's a fantastic play, like in whether it's DFS, whether it's uh, plugging him into your lineups, assuming you have him anywhere. And if you mess up on how you project how the game will go, well, good luck because he's just not going to see any volume. I mean, what's what surprising is just one of Adrian Peterson's score this year was actually a receiving score, which is, you know, kind of cool. But also it's a little wild that like uh, Jordan Reed has managed to stay healthy and just been an absolute non-factor. Tell I, you me know, about I, it. <laughs> I feel so bad for the guy. Like the guy, you know, he's uh, comes back. Uh, for, you know, like he, you know, this is a dude that like suffered so many horrific injuries, and now he's sort of, uh, you know, fully health. Like I hopefully he's fully healthy. We don't know, but he's just not getting as much usage or putting up the stats. Yeah, he's so good. It's just annoying and painful especially as a fan too he's one of the guys i really root for um on washington and just really really disappointing one thing that i think is interesting when you talking about ap is how we can look at that and interpret geiss's value next year i think that ap's been a lot more valuable than most people anticipated from a fantasy standpoint of course you mentioned the front runner and positive game script splits but i think as a whole he's been way more valuable than anybody predicted in the fantasy community so that might speak positively for geiss's value especially if geiss is presumably a better player than adrian peterson at this point and can soak up a couple more targets than ap has Marquez Valdez-Scantling caught two of his five targets for 45 yards and a touchdown in the Packers' Week 8 loss to the Rams. Maybe no shit. He he out-targeted Geronimo Allison and Randall Cobb this week, which was awesome because we've seen them injured on and off the last couple weeks and um, Valdez-Scantling really get his shot and show that he can produce at the NFL level. But then the big question was what would happen this week and Ballas Kimling out-targeted them which is great um Cobb in particular has been extremely inefficient this year he's just looked washed so maybe MVS will continue to have this role as a top three or four option for Rodgers which will certainly make him a fantasy starter and I think that we still need another week or two of signal to say for sure, but this was definitely a very positive sign that he was still involved with those other two pass catchers back in the lineup. Yeah, and uh, I think one of the things that I want to bring up here in terms of Marquez Valdez-Scantling and uh, the myth of the wide receiver too in terms of uh, Green Bay, a lot of this offseason was spent uh, with everyone just sort of uh, really wanting Randall Cobb to be the wide receiver too for... <laughs> the Green Bay Packers. The cool thing was that he was drafted as a presumptive wide receiver too. And the bad thing is that he just hasn't performed as a wide receiver too. So, you know, I, I mean, we've done this for like three years where uh, where we've just sort of chased uh, this ghost of Randall Cobb from years past. He just isn't the same guy. He suffered so many injuries and hamstring issues that like it's hard to really, you know, think of him as anything more than a guy who... Uh, is he was useful and he's on the team because his contract frankly is untradeable it is a god-awful contract and 
you know, he's been overtaken by Devontae Adams. He uh, lost his job to Geronimo Allison. Both are now losing the jobs of Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And kind of the issue that I really have uh, with people going on about, you know, the mythical Green Bay wide receiver too, is that they always interpret, you know, take the results from the end of the season and then apply them backwards onto the next year's ADP. So the idea being that XYZ player has emerged as a wide receiver too, well, that just means on the depth chart, Randall Cobb is a wide receiver too, so that'll just be him, right? And that's how people drafted this offseason, and it was fantastic watching that happen because uh, that just prevented me from taking Randall Cobb in most spots. And as a result, a lot of my best ball teams are in a pretty good shape as a result. I mean, so when you're looking at these, you know, everyone missed, you know, Devontae Adams, and are probably in the process of missing the forest for the trees here with Marquez Valdez-Scantling. He should not be on your uh, redraft waiver wire, I don't think, especially if both Cobb or Allison miss more time. Uh, you really kind of want to roster him for free. I don't know if you should go out and trade for him. I agree with Ben. You might want to wait on that one. But you definitely check your waiver wires. I mean, I think probably, you know, if this is a sign of things to come, you know, if you wait too long, it might be too late. Uh, even if Cobb and Allison are healthy, it looks like Valdez Scantling might be overtaking them. Might, you know, be the de facto Green Bay wide receiver too. Um, so, you know, yeah, if it's me, I'm probably trying to buy now. Uh, you know, trying to trade for him now, even in redraft. Um, luckily, I picked him up on a lot of my teams, so I already own him, but... <laughs> Anywhere I don't, I'm probably sending out offers. Yeah, that's a good point that you want to get in before he really capitalizes and cements his role, especially given the signal just from this week. So, yeah, I, I think I might adjust my advice and go with what you said, Blair. Sure, watching football is fun, but it's more entertaining when you have some action on the games. Whether you're an expert or rookie, you should be betting at MyBookie. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, like playing the numbers on roulette, you can create a big parlay. Pick three teams to win, and if you hit all three, you could turn $100 into $600. There's so much to bet on. Playoff baseball, basketball, hockey, and the huge UFC fight this weekend between Cormier and Lewis. MyBookie is the one bet I know you'll be happy with all year. I recommend these guys because I personally really trust them. My bookie has been in business for years. They put great online reviews and their mobile site is very easy to use. Uh, and it's backed by popular man that my bookie will offer a hundred percent bonus for one more week this year. Uh, that's right. Have you been placing about big placing a pick or are you thinking about getting into the sports betting game? Well, you, you can actually get into it and, uh, Deposit on MyBookie. So make sure to follow at BetMyBookie on Twitter or Instagram. They personally respond to every mention in DM, not to mention that they've given away nearly $10,000 in free money to their followers this fan, this football season. You'll be the first to know as soon as new odds and props are posted. Log on to MyBookie right now and don't miss out on your last opportunity to collect the industry's biggest bonus. Use promo code ROTOVIZ and you'll get your first deposit matched 100%. That's promo code ROTOVIZ. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, moving on to news item number three. Kenny Galladay caught one of one targets for 12 yards in the Lions week eight loss to the Seahawks. Galladay now has just three catches for 49 yards over his past two games. So, Ben, was the volume we saw earlier in the season for Galladay a mirage, and are you at all worried about him going forward in redraft? I think that the volume he was seeing in the beginning of the year can certainly come back to him for the rest of this year. So 
I was a bit on team pump the brakes on Galladay. He was some people were talking about him as a top twelve wide receiver, you know, a wide receiver one. And we talked about this a bit earlier with Marvin Jones that he was Galladay was producing at a very high clip. He was passing the eye test. People just love to tout him as Babytron and that type of thing. But you gotta understand that Galladay was seeing the same weighted opportunity as Marvin Jones and Golden Tate through the first five weeks. And I don't know why Galladay's target volume has cratered these last two weeks. I can't explain that. But the suggestion that he was an elite wide receiver one for fantasy is something that I was not um, a proponent of. So I can see him certainly returning to a wide receiver two, wide receiver three value similar to where I valued him before this big dip in production these last two weeks. What do you guys think about that? Do you have any idea why this happened to Galladay? Maybe there's some injury we don't really know about. I I really can't explain why he's been completely unused these last two weeks. Nah, there's not really. I mean, it's kind of rough to talk about, right? Like today, it's kind of difficult because Stafford had 40 pass attempts. A good chunk of them went to Marvin Jones and Golden Tate. And there was just nothing left over there for Galladay with Carrion taking away about eight of those uh, 40, which is, you know, pretty impressive again uh, to go back to Carrion conversation. But last week, Stafford, I think, only attempted 22 passes. There just wasn't much to go around. Uh, you know, the, the, I can't remember whether they're playing the, Vi- or the Dolphins. Yeah, correct. The Dolphins. Yeah, they just I mean, the Dolphins are a team that's not really interested in playing football right now. Uh, so they, there was no reason for them to do much of anything uh, that wasn't let them beat themselves. Uh, uh, it looks like when the Lions are faced with pretty negative game script, uh, there's gonna, you know, they are going to be airing it out. The issue is they've got three wide receivers. So what, one or two of those three are going to actually be and have usable games. Uh, really, the fact that Golden Tate hasn't been better than he has is actually a bit more concerning to me because he has seen a lot of volume. And he's just sort of been this like low floor guy that really rarely is useful. So that should be more concerning. Uh, and, you know, the gall- the dichotomy between Galladay and Marvin Jones is kind of interesting because in the weeks where Galladay does well, Marvin Jones is absolutely just unstartable, just not a fantasy asset at all. And on the other hand, uh, when, you know, Marvin Jones is, well, well, Galladay is kind of, you know, this one for one for 12 yards. So you've kind of got a bit of an overfill there in terms of Detroit for fantasy usability and not a very high pass off. I mean, like, even though there's plenty of, off, you know, passing volume to go around in negative scripts, it's not something we can hang our hat on. So it's actually uh, going to be a bit of a bit painful going forward. But, like, I don't know if you can not start him if he's if you have. Uh, other options especially as we to head into like the heavy bye weeks now yeah i was probably on the other side of the you know the kenny galladay uh sort of uh spectrum from you ben um not quite top 12 wide receiver but definitely i thought he was in the process of kind of taking over that wide receiver core and becoming you know detroit's uh top target um so you know, when I see these, I'm trying to kind of explain it away. Like the 22 attempts for Stafford last week probably goes some way toward explaining why he only had two targets. And then 
you know, just today, you know, that's kind of just, <laughs> I'm, I want to just call it variants. Um, but, uh, you know, that's probably bias on my part, um, trying to just, uh, you know, kind of stick with my prior. So um, it's maybe something I should be more worried about. But I mean, honestly, if there are people in my leagues who own Galladay and are trying to maybe sell him if they're worried that his target volume from earlier is kind of dried up, then I think I'm on the buying side. Um, you know, definitely in Dynasty, if there are people who who want to sell him, I'm trying to buy him now. But even in redraft, I think uh, I think we'll probably continue to see his role, maybe not expand, but at least uh, be pretty close to what we saw earlier in the season i think that these last few weeks are more uh more of an aberration um you know but again i'm biased so maybe don't listen to me i'd like to just make a quick correction golden tate actually leads this wide receiver score uh receiver core in ppr points and whopper and in target share and he doesn't and you know he's got the lowest a dot the lowest market share of air yards but the highest racer uh so i it, it seems like Golden Tate seems to be getting much usage, but he's just a guy who, for some reason, I, even though I own him on a bunch of teams, I don't even know what he does on a weekly basis. Great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they were splitting pretty evenly amongst the trio before these last two weeks. So, like you said, Blair, you said he can return to where he was before, and I totally agree that he can, again, be splitting the volume three ways. So that's my take. Andrew Luck completed 22 of 31 passes for 239 yards and three touchdowns in the Colts' Week 8 win over the Raiders. Additionally, uh, Marlon Mack blew up for 149 yards in scrimmage, and he added two touchdowns on the ground. Ben, the Colts' offense appears to be firing on all cylinders of late. However, T.Y. Hilton has been a bit of a disappointment over the last two weeks. He's tallied only 39 total yards and two touchdowns. Uh, What are your expectations for this offense going forward? My expectation is that T.Y. Hilton is an incredible by-low in one of the pass-happiest offenses in the league that's fueled by a rejuvenated offensive line that's completely rebounded compared to how they've been in previous years. It used to just be that Andrew Luck was under siege back there, but now they're one of the strongest adjusted lines in the league, and Andrew Luck, I think he like hadn't been sacked for like 60 attempts or something like that, which is just insane to hear. So T.Y. is the number one in Indianapolis. There's no doubt about that in my mind. T.Y. had all the target volume you could want to start the year when Luck was still working out his shoulder issues and since luck has bumped up his a dot way way higher similar to what's been um historically for luck that's coincided with ty getting hurt um and you know that bump up in a dot for luck would spike ty hilton's value obviously because ty is the high a dot threat in that pass happy offense and now i don't know if ty is a little banged up still coming back from that injury but i think these two games of slightly lower volume or total variance i'm not buying into that at all in terms of ty's depleted value one thing to note is that he's had pretty solid red zone usage 
which hasn't been a true for ty historically so that's a boon to his value as well and they've been scheming him a little bit in the red zone trying to get him the ball so i think i wrote up ty in the bylow report like the week before he got injured and i might have to reference that again because i think he's a super strong bylow in my opinion yeah and then also we had uh jack doyle come back and he uh believe he had uh 70 yards and a touchdown and a few catches. I can't really remember the stat line off the top of my head right now. Uh, but uh, so what are your thoughts on that? And how do you think that impacts the rest of the receiving core going forward? Well, it certainly hurts Ebron, that's for sure. We saw Ebron get absurd usage. Some of the best, I think it might have been the best tight end usage in the league in Doyle's absence, especially with Hilton out too. And we saw that come back down to earth with Doyle back in there. But Doyle and Ebron are certainly both fantasy viable. Andrew Luck loves his tight ends. Um, He's thrown half his touchdowns this year to tight ends, which is pretty crazy. (laughs) Um, I don't even know what the guy's name was. Who the third tight end on the Colts? What's his name? Who scored a touchdown to get today? Molly Cox. Yeah, exactly. Like (laughs) not not on the radar. but on Andrew Luck's radar because he plays the tight end position. So, But anyways, the point is that Ebron was a very strong sell in the last week or two. If you can still dump him at something close to the value he had during that three- or four-game stretch, then by all means, uh, do it. So my favorite probably player on this offense coming into the year was Naheem Hines, who had kind of a big role in the passing game and even in the running game for the start of the season. The last couple weeks when Mac has been fully healthy, he's been marginalized. Uh, Do you think that what we saw the last two weeks is kind of what we should expect going forward um, with Hines not having a role? Or do you think they'll try and work him back into the offense? Yeah, I'm I'm disappointed. I thought they were going to split because they really, they kind of did that the first week Mac came back, but then last week Mac had all the work and he's produced, despite Hines producing similarly strongly on the smaller amount of work he's had. Really, there's no signal to suggest that Mac won't continue to dominate the share. So unfortunately, that is, that is my answer. Uh, they actually do kind of split. It's just a matter of uh, game script. Uh, when you're looking at a guy like Hines, he's kind of got a slight build. He's more so in the mold of a Tariq Cohen. So you don't really want to you know, expose him to you know, unnecessary hits. Uh, and they're kind of, it looks like they're using him more so as a, when they're in negative game script, right? Like his, his uh, skill set is more tuned to someone who will be a good fit when this team needs to hurry up on offense and needs to, you know, hit a couple of home runs. So I think that that's where you've got that weird split. This is a game where once Indianapolis went way up, uh, surprisingly, Oakland was unable to respond. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but like a receiving core that uh, features Jordy Nelson, Brandon LaFell and Seth Roberts, uh, was not able to overcome this massive deficit. So I, uh, you know, I, I for one, am shocked. So, so, so you got, so you got Naheem Hines who sees usage and, uh, you know, once the Colts are back from their bye and they're actually going to face, you know, a pretty tough slate of 
tough stretch of teams that will actually be able to run up the score on them. It'll be interesting to see how they uh, respond then. That's certainly true, but Mac has out-targeted Hines the last two weeks, so I don't buy that Hines is, you know, the guy in negative game script, given that they've targeted Mac seven times to Naheem Hines's four times in the last two weeks. Yeah, and I didn't actually see this game, but I mean, looking at the line, seeing Hines getting, you know, 11 carries in a in a game where Mac carried it 25 times kind of suggests he was um, used more as just like a change of pace or kind of a, a pretty clear backup or maybe even kind of a garbage time back. So, um, you know, there are aspects of this box score that are not really <laughs> encouraging, um, you know, but on the other hand, it can only tell you so much. Uh you know, Dontrell Inman getting seven targets, that might be a blip. Maybe Hines can eat into his workload. He had a, a dot of around six, I think. So uh, closer to the line of scrimmage, closer to the kind of targets you'd want Hines to be getting. So um, maybe that would shift a little going forward with Hines getting the targets they threw to Inman today. Um, you know, that's probably that's probably what I'd hope for going forward. And that'll do it for this edition of the Fantasy Football Report. Special thanks to our guest, Ben Battle. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at Ben underscore Battle 3. Please remember to rate and review the Road of His Radio channel on iTunes and subscribe to our Patreon. For Hassan Rahim, I'm Blair Andrews. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Fantasy Football Report. Please rate and review the Road of His Radio podcast channel on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com, and follow us on Twitter at rotovizradio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Your home is important. That's why GEICO helps make it easy to save on condo insurance. Because home is more than just a place. Home is where you took minimalism too far because there's only one chair in your entire condo and your only entertainment is one card. Not even a deck of cards, but a single card. And all your guests have to share one plate and one fork, but you're convinced that less stuff means more freedom. The GEICO Insurance Agency could help protect the overly minimalist broom closet you call home. Call GEICO and see how easy it is to switch and save on condo insurance.